Hey there, Better Off listeners. We're cooking up some more episodes of Better Off, but they're going to take a little extra time in the oven. While you wait, we wanted to give you a bit of an update on our very first episode about indoor air. Joe Allen has been talking about indoor air and health all over the country in schools and businesses and, most recently, at the White House. We're going to play the episode from December 2020, and when we come back, we'll get that update from Joe Allen. From the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, this is Better Off, a podcast about the biggest public health problems we face today. The era has been defined by buildings that are no longer designed for people, as crazy as that sounds. And the people innovating to create public health solutions. And we know when you bring in more outdoor air, you reduce things like sick building syndrome. I'm your host, Anna Fisher-Pinkert. The COVID-19 pandemic has put a huge spotlight on public health. Suddenly, we're all learning about R-naught values and hand hygiene, as well as health disparities and the reasons that some get better care than others. Public health is so much larger than this current crisis, but the coronavirus really opened my eyes, and I think a lot of other people's eyes, to how important public health is and how fragile our good health can be. Public health is about stopping the spread of disease, but it's also about how we make sure that everyone has what they need to thrive. And today, we're going to talk about two things that we basically can't live without, fresh air and safe shelter. So take a deep breath in and let it out. Because today, we're better off with Joseph Allen, healthy buildings expert. We spend 90% of our time indoors. We are an indoor species. This is Joseph Allen. He's an associate professor at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And I'll often ask people to, you know, play a little game here and uh, nobody likes this because it's public math and disclose your age. But I say, take your age and multiply it by 0.9. That's how many years you've lived indoors. Nobody likes to do it. So I'll do it myself. I'm 45. It means I've lived 40 years of my life indoors. And if you stop and think about it that way, it does change your perspective and say, wait a second, what is this air we're breathing inside and how does that influence my health? Fine, I'll play too. I am almost 36 years old, which means that I have spent over 32 years indoors. And I'm surprised by that, but it doesn't seem like a big thing to worry about until you hear this. The majority of your exposure to outdoor air pollution actually occurs from the air you're breathing indoors. Joe explained that typically 50% of outdoor air pollution gets inside our homes. But that's the air you're breathing 90% of the time. So over the course of your life, you've probably breathed in more polluted air indoors than outdoors. And the reality is that indoor air pollutants can be three, five, ten times higher than outdoor air pollution, which I think surprises most people. Pollutants released from cleaning products, cooking, smoking, and other everyday activities can build up indoors. Even dust from old furniture can release toxic compounds into the air. Joe Allen's book, Healthy Buildings, How Indoor Spaces Drive Performance and Productivity, which he co-authored with Harvard Business School's John D. McEmber, explores all the ways that buildings have become sick and how we can start to make them healthy again. Probably it's worth stepping back for a second to think about uh, how we got to this place where we even needed to write a book called Healthy Buildings. 
because the reality is we have been in the sick building era. So what does that mean? Um, starting in about the late 70s, we, due to the energy crisis, the global energy crisis, we started tightening up our building envelope, stopped letting them breathe, bringing in less outdoor air. Offices and apartment buildings became all about saving energy on heating and cooling without much thought to ventilation. And it was right shortly after that that we first saw this term sick building syndrome appear. This is uh, symptoms related to time spent in underperforming indoor environments like headaches, malaise, uh, not being able to think clearly, sometimes more severe. And we've been in that era since, right up till today, where uh, the era has been defined by buildings that are no longer designed for people, as crazy as that sounds. So this is the problem that Joe Allen is trying to solve. How do you make buildings that put people first? To figure out the solution to that problem, Joe does a lot of deep forensic investigation of what's going wrong in buildings. If you're one of Joe Allen's students at Harvard Chan School, you should expect that at some point you're going to be handed a hard hat and led into the bowels of a multi-story building to learn how its systems work. That pounding the pavement approach came from Joe's first career as a private investigator in New York City. My father was a homicide detective. It was a kind of a family business. And then he left and I ran the company for a couple of years. Well, so that's probably where my interest in forensics comes from. And so the forensic investigations of sick buildings felt a lot of like what I had done my whole life. I kind of grew up doing um, surveillance and, uh, and undercover work and, and you know, an- analyzing uh, documents, looking for facts and patterns and trends. And so it was just a different application of that into health. So could we walk into a building and instantly deduce that it's a sick building? Um, Not necessarily. I mean, there are some things that you would see or detect right away, right? If we describe these places as stuffy or stale, or maybe you detect some a smell that isn't quite right. So we have our own senses that we should and do trust that are tips that something isn't quite right in this space. For my class on healthy buildings at the the School of Public Health here, we take students out and we've gone into buildings, uh, sometimes brand new buildings side by side, and there's one you walk in and there's a visceral reaction from every student. Something's not right in there. Don't know what it is at first instance, but we know it's not right. You walk into the adjacent building and it's, you want to work in that building. But that's not necessarily enough information to tell us how working or living in a building long term affects our health. As you walk into a building, how do you know it's it's good for your long-term health? You don't know. For example, you know, how do you know that it that they've made good decisions in terms of the products they choose and whether or not it has chemicals in them that interfere with your hormone system? Well, you can't detect that. You wouldn't know uh, unless you know something about the organization and their principles. It's an organization that puts the health of people first. I mean, that's that's kind of scary because a lot of us we don't have a choice about what building we're going to work in. We show up to the first day of work and that's where we're going to go. And what you're saying is that we kind of have to trust not just the people we work for, but then the landlord, the developer, um, all of the people who have created the built environment in which we live, most of whom we have zero contact with. I mean, how, how do we Um, as a society, motivate all of these different entities, all these different commercial entities to do the right thing and to change the way they build. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's the crux of it. And, and really, it's one of the reasons we, we wrote the book is to say, you know, we shouldn't be competing on the health of different buildings. Healthy buildings should be the norm, not the exception. So you don't even have to think about it, right? We should just be designing these correctly uh, right up front. Joe says one solution to bad indoor air is just giving people more objective information via low-cost sensors that allow people to measure the air quality around them. Another is to bring more of the outdoors indoors. Really what's happening in a building that doesn't have operable windows or windows you can open is that the air is coming in from the outside through, uh, through a duct, a vent, and there it goes through your mechanical system, your air conditioning and filtration system. It's going to get filtered, it's going to get conditioned, either heated up or cooled down, and then it gets distributed and delivered around the building. Now, that system is actually influencing a lot of what's going on in the building. So most times, in many buildings, they are underventilating. They're not bringing enough outdoor air. Without good ventilation, chemicals build up in the air. Those chemicals vary. They could be VOCs, which could come from burning fuels, cleaning fluids, or paints. Bioeffluents, those are chemicals released by the human body, so imagine a stinky bathroom. Or just carbon dioxide. And spending a lot of time breathing in these chemicals with no outside air coming in can lead to that sick building syndrome we talked about earlier, where people experience headaches, malaise, and an inability to think clearly. Buildings across the U.S. are chronically underventilated. And we know when you bring in more outdoor air, you reduce things like sick building syndrome. You get improved cognitive function performance. When buildings are underventilated, underventilated people are more likely to miss school and work. Of course, if your outdoor air is polluted, that might be a little concerning. So buildings also need to factor in filtration. If you think about a place that is an area with high outdoor air pollution, or the California wildfires recently, right? You think, well, I'm bringing in all that outdoor air. Is that okay? Well, it is if you also have good filters, right? You're bringing in that outdoor air, you're conditioning it, cooling it, heating it, but you also are cleaning, you're filtering that air. If you have a low-grade filter, um, you're not doing much. But if you have a high-grade filter, you can remove a large percent of the outdoor air pollution before it gets distributed to the people in the building through that vent in your office that you're now looking at. Joe recommends a multi-layered approach to improving indoor air quality. But one of the biggest problems Joe identifies in his book is that the standard for indoor air quality is based around building codes for engineers, not around public health. But the, the standard is actually the, called the standard for acceptable indoor air quality. Acceptable. Well, I don't find that acceptable. You shouldn't find that acceptable. We want healthy indoor air quality. And so one of the pushes we're making is to let's change this standard. Instead of a minimum standard for you know, an acceptable limit, let's target a healthy air quality standard. And then we don't have to think about it so much about what's coming into our buildings. Joe thinks that the pandemic is actually the right moment for employees to speak up and demand that their workplaces have better air quality. People are really reluctant to get back into work, right? And, and so the, these business owners in particular know they have to do something different to satisfy the demand coming from employees who say, I'm not going back to work unless it's a healthy building, right? That makes sense. Who would want to go back to a building that's not a healthy building at this point? Nobody. So that demand can also come from employers or people who live in buildings just start asking about these things. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Joe has consulted with a wide variety of organizations about their reopening plans, from the Massachusetts Supreme Court to Broadway theaters to public schools. 
And actually, some of the same recommendations he's been making around healthy buildings, bringing in outside air, upping filtration, they can help reduce the spread of airborne particles carrying the novel coronavirus. Typical filters in the building capture particles. And that's particles from outdoor air pollution. It's particles from indoor air pollution. When you're cooking over a stove, for example, you generate particles. Um, And it's also biological particles. So viral particles and respiratory droplets. So the filters are actually capturing this through physical mechanisms. So it's going to remove all of those types of particles. Joe also created guidelines for schools. And public schools in the U.S. have to overcome some enormous hurdles when it comes to creating healthy classrooms because we've underinvested in our school buildings for decades. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos two years ago was on 60 Minutes. And, and during that interview, she gave a quote. She said, we need to be investing in students, not in school buildings. Well, we should be funding and investing in students, not in school, school buildings, not in institutions, not in systems. And okay, well, so of course we should be investing in students, but it shows the disconnect that an investment in the school building isn't an investment in the students and the teachers. Of course it is. Of course it is. Just like there's a link between sick office buildings and underperforming workers, there's a connection between how schools are built and how students learn. We wrote a report a couple of years ago where we looked at 200 scientific studies, more than 200, showing that the school building influences student health, student thinking, and student performance, even on reading comprehension, test scores. You know, I'm a parent, I have three kids, but think about the questions we ask about schools. Well, what's the student-teacher ratio? What's the curriculum going to look like? How's my kid going to get there? Are there sports, right? No one ever asks about the building. No one ever does. No one even asks, do the windows open in the classroom, right? And so we, we've neglected it as parents, as administrators, as society, as a government that doesn't fund this, as our secretaries of education ignore the, the role of the building. There's a single person at the Department of Education whose responsibility is this. We don't have like a, the director of you know, school buildings who's responsible for healthy school buildings. Um, and it's a big problem. We've underinvested. That's why during a crisis like this, this is when it really is exposed. During the pandemic, Joe has been involved with schools in a number of ways, including developing a free detailed report that administrators can use to guide their reopening plans. Joe, like many public health experts, says that in places where community transmission of COVID-19 is low, getting kids back into in-person school should be a top priority. Two things have to happen. One, you can't go back unless community spread is low. Second one, it can't be schools as usual. Masking should be universal, everyone wearing a mask. You know, and and a whole host of other strategies I can talk about, but since we're talking about air quality, I'll mention the one that often gets neglected, and that is ventilation and filtration. Imagine that one person in a classroom is asymptomatic, but infected with COVID-19 and shedding the virus. When that person talks or eats or sneezes, small particles that we can't see will carry the virus through the air. Well, anything that gets into the air is going to stay in the air until three, one of three things happens. It's diluted due to ventilation, it's cleaned out of the air through filtration, or it's deposited in the lungs. And of course, we're trying to eliminate that last one. So wearing a mask is key, but then the other thing is anything that's in the air, you want to dilute or clean out of the air quickly. That's why schools need to increase their ventilation rate and supplement that with high-efficiency filtration. 
these changes won't happen overnight, but Joe is hopeful that changes are on the horizon in the public and private sector. I am hopeful because um, in January and February before the pandemic hit, I could have named every company and researcher, you know, really focusing on healthy buildings. And since COVID, it has exploded. Companies are creating healthy building divisions. Uh, Companies are asking for this. They're rewriting leases around this. They're redesigning new buildings around this idea of healthy buildings. So change is underway. And I I just, my hope is that um, this leads to a permanent rethinking of our built environment and, and buildings. And Joe thinks this opens up new avenues for people who understand and care about public health to influence the buildings we live and work in during the pandemic and beyond. And so I think we have a big role to play in public health. I I like working with businesses, too. I think they have a big role to play and we can actually partner up and advance and define this next era. Since the pandemic started, I can't look at an air vent without thinking about what I'm breathing and where it's coming from. I hope Joe Allen is right that this pandemic will spur on big changes in how we build and that we'll all be able to breathe a little easier. Okay, so that was our very first episode way back in December of 2020. It has been more than a year since I last spoke to Joe Allen, and throughout the pandemic, he's consulted on ventilation and filtration for businesses, schools, and governments. He's written dozens of op-eds, and recently his ideas have been getting, excuse the pun, some extra airtime. In March, the Biden-Harris administration called out the need to clean up indoor air in its national COVID-19 preparedness plan, and the Environmental Protection Agency released a Clean Air in Buildings Challenge outlining practical steps for building owners and operators. So I thought it was time to get back in touch with Joe, and I asked him, what's changed? It's funny, nothing's changed in terms of the science we talked about in whatever it was, December 2020, in terms of airborne transmission and the power of buildings to keep people safe indoors. Now, the big thing that's changed recently is that this is now accepted. When we spoke, it wasn't accepted, right? CDC still hadn't updated this. World Health Organization hadn't updated their stance on this. But, you know, just recently, the White House, we've been working with the White House, and they said it loud and clear. This virus is spread through the air. Ventilation and filtration matter. You know, things we've been saying actually since the since day one of the pandemic, January 2020. So it's quite rewarding to, uh, to hear it. we've come a long way. It's, and it's satisfying and it's good. And it's important for public health. We talked a bit about the changes that would need to be made in order to improve things for people working in offices, students in schools, all of the ventilation and filtration that would need to take place. And we, we talked a bit about building codes, but those, you know, you can't get at those at the federal level. It's got to be at the state and local level. So are you seeing progress in that area as well? Or is that a little slower to get moving? It's definitely slow in terms of code, but, you know, I, I also don't want to uh, miss this moment. I mean, it's a big deal that the White House decided to use its pulpit to focus on clean air in buildings. Now think about that, right? All the things they could be talking about, all the problems going on in the world and in the country. And they took time out to, to have this be part of the Biden announcement on the pandemic plan. I work with several state leaders who are talking about this. And now all of a sudden, if you look at a state plan and it doesn't have healthy buildings, but the White House plan does, wow, you have a gap and you have to fix that. So I see that corrective action being taken. Where I think the White House was really smart here was If you look at the 
language they chose. It's clean air and buildings challenge, clean air and buildings checklist. They didn't go for a standard. They didn't try to change formal policy. I think quite honestly, they got burned with the vaccine mandate mandate in the uh, late summer and the fall, and, and it got held up in the courts when they went through OSHA. So in a strategic sense, I think it was really smart to just say, let's use the pulpit, let's raise awareness around this, rather than get bogged down you know, in what would be an endless and large and would be an unsuccessful policy debate and discussion. I'm wondering if you can describe an experience that you had where you where someone in business or government really had an aha moment in terms of understanding what they could do to protect the health of the people in their building, since you've been in buildings looking at the ventilation and filtration all over the place. Yeah, I've been all over the country doing this and, and across you know, homeless shelters, K through 12 schools, universities, biotech, finance, pharma, with the federal government. And I'd say, you know, there's been lots of aha moments, especially early in the pandemic when the messaging was so focused on surface transmission and these kind of droplets just stay six feet away. But the number of times an executive CEO would said, well, you know, we hadn't thought about our buildings till you brought that up. Uh, and then when they hear the science, it just becomes so obvious. Of course, this has to be done and they do it. And it's not hard. And it's not expensive, right? And, and so there's definitely a part of me that, you know, I'm really excited that the White House is on board of this messaging. We worked hard with them over the past couple of months, uh, this messaging on clean air and buildings. But I'd be lying if I didn't say there's a part of me that just said, wow, you know, we wrote this in an op-ed in January 2020. And it's the same exact message. It's spread through the air, ventilation, filtration, portable air cleaners, humidity, like it's all there. We knew exactly what to do. So it's a part of me that's just that just thinks of all the, the loss we've had around the world and in this country um, and, and how much better we, we could have done. So I, I'm trying to balance both of those a bit. I'm really happy. It's better late than never. Uh, I'm really proud of our work and ability to work with the White House to elevate this message at the same time. Wow, um, you know, I really wish... Uh, this had gone differently right from the beginning. But I'll end on a hopeful note. I think, you know, it gives me hope about what happens next with this virus and whatever happens with future pandemics, that buildings will be in the conversation from day one next time. That's a huge win, right? That's a huge win for society. Whenever that happens, five years, 10 years, hopefully not in my lifetime, but I'm certain, most certain it will. Uh, we won't have this two-year delay again. That was Joseph Allen, director of the Healthy Buildings Program at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and an associate professor of exposure assessment science. To learn more about healthy buildings, visit forhealth.org. And to hear more episodes of this show, visit hsph.me slash better hyphen off. That's hsph.me slash better hyphen off. <laughs>